Welcome back to the Gospel Enthusiast Podcast, episode number 12. My name is Braden Friesen. That's Ben Martins. Hello. That's Derek Friesen. Hi. And we're excited to have you along with us once again. Um, yeah, before we jump into Romans 6 this week, let's, uh, I'd just like to ask you guys, how's, how's the week going in regards to uh, getting into uh, <coughs> God's Word and getting into prayer? Well, last week was, uh, was definitely... Uh, a little bit rough, uh, very busy with work, and so I was found it difficult to make time. But this week, it's everything has slowed down a bit. So, and as much as I know, I need to make it a priority. It's something I did definitely battle with. But this week has been has been better, so I've been able to get into the word and prayer better. Right on, Derek. What about you? Yeah, overall, my week has been pretty good. Um, had some days where it was difficult to get into the word and spend time in prayer, and other days where. It was pretty easy and, you know, came to me easy those days. And so I am grateful for those days. And mm-hmm. I guess I'm also grateful for the down days because they uh, make the good days feel better. But, <laughs> um, yeah, overall pretty good. Right on. I know this week we're going to be quite busy, especially with recording this and then men's study on Isaiah and then another men's study on Second Timothy. So it's good to... Uh, to be busy with, with the things of God, and uh, hopefully that our um, hearts are in a position to worship Him throughout all of that, instead of feeling as it as if it's a uh, a chore or a burden. Right. So, mm-hmm. that being said, let's jump right into Romans six. So Paul starts chapter six, following up uh, with a question, following up the one of the last statements in chapter five where it says that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And he starts with the question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue sinning or continue in sin that grace may abound? And I just want to clear clear something up. I said that uh, last week, just in case it came across the wrong way, because we had mentioned this verse, right? Uh, this question. And Benny, you had said, you know, stop sinning. And my response was kind of like a hesitant, well... It's not easy, and that can come across in a way of almost co- come across in a way that where I'm like suggesting it's not easy, so you don't have to try to stop sinning type of thing. And that's by no means what I meant, you know. By no are, means. What? By no means. Yeah. Answer the way Paul answers. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but that's not what I meant, right? Like, no, obviously, it's good to clarify though. Yeah. Obviously, it's it's a war, and it's something that we have to continually habitually combat and fight against you know that john owen quote stands out to me where he says be killing sin or sin will be killing you Mm -hmm. and so i just wanted to clear that up so there wasn't miscommunication there or confusion although if someone listens to last last episode and doesn't listen to this one they won't have that clarification so so listen to our episodes yes continue listening (laughs) (laughs) well it's a pretty good segue because um, regarding um, should we keep on sinning if we're under grace? Um, just getting, give everyone the definition of antinomianism. Um, it literally means anti-lawism. It denies or downplays the significance of God's law in the life of the believer, opposite of legalism. Some are under this the assumption that now that one is saved by grace, they can live as they please. They are saved from God's law. Is, is how some would 
would put it, and use grace as a means of disobedience. Paul is outright denying this heresy. We are not saved to continue in sin. Right. And the way he answers these questions, uh, some say, or some translations have it, may it not be or may it never be. Others have it, God forbid. The way he answers these so vehemently shows his abhorrence for this type of questioning and idea, right? Yeah, I mean, when you look at uh, this, just the way he says it, like, um, are we are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Um, how can we who died in sin still live in it? And it, you can see, um, sorry, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And, and basically raising the question, what's the, what's the point of, of dying to sin if you're going to still stay uh, in it uh, openly? Mm-hmm. And so he's obviously very, like this idea even offends him. Like it, it's, it's not, a, like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely goes the route often um, we've seen in, in previous chapters as well, where he kind of asks these theoretical questions that he knows um, the uh, the church in Rome or even in other um, letters that he writes that they're going to ask, right? So it's kind of, he, he kind of gets ahead of the curve and says, hey, this is absolutely not what I mean by any of this. Yeah, and... A Christian cannot go go on living in the practice of sin. No. You know, we see that in 1 John 3, verse 4 to 10, where it says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes the practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. <clears throat> yeah, that, and just to add to that point, um, like our old self has died away, and, and we'll get um, you know, a little bit deeper in, into our, what our old self or, or what that means. And what, um, yeah, and what it means to die to sin. And what it means to die to sin, yeah. But the question that, that I come up with in regards to, to those who claim to be Christians but are willing to um, to continue to live to sin, or live in sin, sorry, and practice it, how can one who has been plucked from this world to serve the King of Kings continue to serve the world that hates their master? Hmm. On, on top of that, like a heart that has been changed and transformed by God cannot continue in sin. Um, in the previous chapter, chapter 5, Paul makes mention of the glorious grace of God through Christ Jesus that abounds over the transgression and its penalty. Um, this abounding grace is sufficient and only mean, sorry, and only man's depraved heart can conjure up the idea that we could make the gift better if we made it more worth it by our exceedingly great sin. The purpose of Christ's death was not so we could continue in sin and eventually be saved, but to be saved from sin itself. And so this isn't like... Um, 
you know, the, it's not just a promise of salvation. And so, okay, you just keep doing what you do, keep sailing, you know, and uh, eventually everything will be okay. But it's a call to away from sin. And so if we're called out of sin and called to live a holy life uh, according to the life that Christ lived, why would we want to just sit in that same spot, you know? Like mm. if if we're trapped in this muddy cage and now that the door is open, we're, we're called to live out of sin, why would we sit there and be like, no, no, man, I'll just, I'll chill here a bit. I like this mud, yeah. It's kind of, in a way, it's like the pig likes to um, roll around in its own filth, right? Man, it's very much the same way. Like you can have, you know, a lot of green in front of a pig and won't go to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Paul even takes it one step further, right? Saying, you know, if you've died to this, how can you possibly go back to it or how can you continue in sin? And um, the idea of dying to sin, you know, obviously doesn't mean a physical death. like, um, But it talks of a spiritual death, more or less. Um because the unbeliever, in a physic, in the case of a physical death, the unbeliever will still be under the effect of sin or face the wrath of sin, right? Um, but those who are spiritually dead to sin through Christ are freed from the dominion of sin. They're freed from the power of sin. Um, they're freed from the condemnation. And they're freed to pursue righteousness, which by ourselves, as Paul touches on earlier, we would not be able to do. And so I was... Just reading John Gill's commentary on this verse, and there's a pretty lengthy quote or set of notes that he puts there that I wanted to go through. Settle in. Yeah. Settle in. This one is a nice, lengthy one. Um, But so John Gill, in regards to this verse, he says, quote, Justified persons are dead to sin inasmuch as that it is not imputed to them to condemnation and death. They are discharged from it. It cannot hurt them or exert its damning power over them. It is crucified, abolished, and made an end by Christ. End quote. And that's just the first part of it. I was going to say, that's not that lengthy. I had a point to make in between, right? Oh, okay. that, wasn't, that wasn't John Calvin lengthy, but no. Um, but we see this, this part reflected when we look at the beginning of Romans 8, right? That since the condemnation and death for sin was bore by bore was carried by Christ on the cross, then there no more or no more remains any condemnation or wrath awaiting the believer. And really, that like wouldn't you agree? That's a a great comfort, right? That you know, since the Father sees us in the righteous robes of Christ, that there's no more wrath stored up against us. It's Mm-hmm. really comforting but John Gill goes on um, quote sanctified persons are dead to sin sin is not made their business it is not their course of life it is no longer a pleasure to them but is lo- loathsome and abominable it is looked upon not as a friend but as an enemy it does not reside or it does not reign it has not dominion over them it is subdued in them and its power weakened and as the members of the flesh, <clears throat> pardon me, and as the, as to the members of the flesh and deeds of the body, it is mortified. To live in sin is to live after the dictates of corrupt nature, and persons may be said to live in it when they give themselves up to it, are bent upon it, when sin is their life, they delight in it, 
make it their work and business, and the whole course of their life is sinful. Now those who are dead to sin cannot thus live in it. Though sin may live in them, they may fall into sin and lie in it for some time, yet they cannot live in it. Living in sin is not only unbecoming the grace of God revealed in the gospel, but it is contrary to it. It is detestable to gracious minds, yea, it seems impossible they should live in it, which is suggested by the question, how shall we? The thing is impractable, impracticable, for for a gracious soul to live in sin would be to die again, to become dead in sin, which cannot be. He that lives and believes in Christ shall never die spiritually or eternally. End quote. So that was lengthy. You were it right. was, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, the problem I had was, I, you know, I, I could have just put parts of it in, yeah. but he so thoroughly talks about the death sure. to sin and not living in sin anymore that I, I, I didn't want to, like, skip over Read, like, the last two parts. sentences again, because there's something I wanted to just uh, point out there, if you can. Okay. I'm just going to read that last section of the quote there. Yeah, living, in, living in sin is not only unbecoming of the grace of God revealed in the gospel, but is contrary to it. It is detestable to gracious minds, yea, it seems impossible they should live in it, which is suggested by the question, how shall we? The thing is impracticable, for, for a gracious soul to live in sin would be to die again, to become dead in sin, which cannot be. He that lives and believes in Christ shall never die spiritually or eternally. End quote. Okay, so when he t- says, like, for uh, for a soul to basically die again, right, it would, it would mean, like, like for a truly saved soul, for that to happen would mean that um, Christ, Christ's work upon the cross is insufficient, and his resurrection would be insufficient. Right. Um, so either you are fully saved um, by the grace of God, or you are deceived and you are not saved. Is how kind of how I understand that, um, but what are you guys' thoughts on that? Because I, I, that's kind of how I understood his quote. But maybe, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, the way the quote says it almost makes it like an um, impossibility, right? Sure. That you know, the promise is eternal life for those who believe and those who are in Christ, and so to go on living in sin would, and to be. Um, yeah, b- back dead to it, and mm-hmm. that would completely counteract the work of Christ. Yeah, would that, that should that, that be impossible at all? But what are your thoughts on that, Ben? Well, I uh, yeah, I was thinking that too. Like, I mean, if you, I was I was thinking of, of things and analogies, and <clears throat> I'm just imagining like something from your childhood that you love, um, that you haven't haven't other movie that you haven't seen in a while or a food that you haven't eaten in a while and you have it again as an adult and it's like well it's, it's just it's not the same right it's, it's something completely different and 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 you can't enjoy it the way you did then in the same to some degree anyway in the same way now as christians if we go back to that old life we know it's not the same we cannot comfortably live in that anymore because we, the conviction on us that like Christ compels us to, to live outside of that. Yes, we will fall. Yes, we will will sin, but we cannot live in in sin the way we did. Yeah, that that's exa- <clears throat> that kind of ties into that earlier section of the quote, quote or the uh, commentary there, where it it talks about 
you know, those who are dead to sin cannot live in it, uh, though it may live in them and may they may fall into sin and lie in it for some time. They cannot live in it and, and talks about how it's uncomprehendable. Like, like for a, for a believer, the way you used the um, analogy, right? Like we can't go back to sin because it doesn't hold the same power. It doesn't hold mm-hmm. the same draw as it once did. And that's why a, a believer would not be able to live in sin. Yeah, the way I would put that is the once sweet fruit of sin has become incredibly bitter, like vinegar, mm-hmm. right, to the believer, is, is how, how I would see that. Because we once had a sweet tooth for everything that was wicked and everything that was evil. But when you go back to sin, and even like, like these bodies are not perfect, right? So then we look at, you know, when we stumble and when we fall, how bitter it is, the sin. Like, yeah, in that moment, there may have been some, you know, fleeting enjoyment, but that goes away so fast and, and conviction and and the bitterness of that sin comes rushing over the Christian mm-hmm. and he goes before the Lord in repentance, right? So I, I think that's kind of the way we, we can look at it is sin once was sweet, when we didn't know any better. But now that we know better, we realize it is incredibly bitter. Yeah. It's like poison. Yeah, yeah. The, the true believer will hate their sin. Absolutely. Right. And and the thing I think it's important to point out too is that the sin will still, on the outside, look attractive. Um, sure. It, like an apple, it'll still be shiny and red. And then as soon as you, as a Christian, as you bite into this apple now, now it's not that sweet uh, fruit that you remember being like you said it's mm-hmm. it's it's bitter it's vinegar it's it's everything is rotten. wrong with it it's yeah. rotten and you you realize you've been deceived mm-hmm. and and that's that's the life of a christian of, of repentance of continuing to repent when uh when we fall into sin i think also like thing to note is is living in righteousness and holiness um and walking with the lord is so much sweeter than than sin was even when we were um you know, dead in our sins and our trespasses, like we can find great joy in knowing that, that the, uh, the goodness of God is much sweeter and much greater than, um, the once sweetness of, of sin. Amen. Mm -hmm. Should we move on? Sure. So I got a question for you. (coughs) Excuse me. So we'll just move on to where, um, Paul refers to baptism. Um, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have also been baptized into his death? Uh, therefore, through baptism into death, so that as Christ is raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness, newness of life. So, from what I've read, um, so many believe this passage to be evidence that baptism is required for salvation. So my question to you guys is, what do these verses mean in their original context? How should we read or, or study them? Well, when I read that verse, basically, um, it sounds like Paul is saying, do you, not, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, you know, kind of thinking of the, the legacy that Christ left with the miracles and everything that he did, have also been baptized into his death. So you, you, you don't just get the, the fun, good stuff. You also get the, the more difficult stuff, which you also are called to die with Christ. Like, metaphorically, but die mm-hmm. with Christ and, and, and uh, die to sin so that you can live with him uh, when he's resurrected, right? So it's, right. We're, we're not, uh, you have to take the whole, the whole uh, 
lifestyle that or the whole I don't know how to phrase it, the whole bit and gamble I don't know <laughs> but you know what I mean like you have to take everything you can't just take oh I want the miracles but I don't want to have the lifestyle I want to continue in sin I just want mm-hmm. part of Jesus well, the, they want the the benefits and not the um, the whole package yeah so when I look at it I, I don't see it as um, an argument for baptism being required for salvation because there are many cases when you look through the Bible where that's not the case. Yeah. Um, but what I see it for is a representation of what we are in Christ and what, you know, our dying with Christ also will be a resurrection with Christ. And, um, you know, baptism is a sign and a seal of that. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's an outward thing showing the inward change, the inward yeah. death and resurrection um, to new life. You know, as the Reformation Study Bible uh, notes, it baptism is the sign and seal of, of being engrafted into Christ and of regeneration, remission of sins, and adoption. As such, it proclaims that those who by faith are united to Christ in his death and resurrection have died to sin and have been raised to new life, end quote. So, yeah, that like that's really what baptism is, right? Yeah. Um, I would agree with that. I I know that people do argue that case. There are people who believe that it is required for salvation. Um, And obviously we can go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. We're not going to do that. I would would believe that they're wrong. Yeah. (laughs) I I would say in uh, in this context here, um, he's referring to the the symbol of dying with Christ, um, dying to dying to sin and being raised up with with Christ into new life um, and an evidence of that right mm-hmm. so um, well and it goes on to talk right about how, how just as Christ was raised we can walk in newness of life and you know when we're saved the Bible ta- talks multiple times about you know how and if anyone is in Christ he's a new creation in mm-hmm. 2 Corinthians 5 um, how we are renewed in the spirit of our minds and put on a new self created after the likeness of God in Ephesians and um, you know multiple okay multiple different other occasions of you know this new self right yeah um, in, in regards to like the old self um, our last episode Romans 5 um, 12 through 21 talks about us being uh, our, our relation in Adam before having a relation in Christ, right? Right. Um, now that we've been raised to life in Christ by by grace uh, through faith, we now identify with life in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, our entire old self, including our relation to the first Adam, has been nailed to the cross. Um, also, being no longer being enslaved to sin means it is no longer a taskmaster. It is no longer our owner. Um <laughs> As I mentioned before, like we'll still stumble in sin because we're a fallible man. But uh, um, as as we're going to continue to go forward, we're going to see that we're we're now slaves to Christ, wanting to do what He commands. Mm-hmm. Sin is repented of, and it's no longer what our desires are. Right. And just like Romans five had the much more, you know, this is the case. You know, you, He saved you when you were His enemy. Mm-hmm. Much more, He'll continue to uphold and sanctify you. Um. Romans 6 has something similar where it says, you know, if we've been, un- if we're united in the death like his, we certainly 
she'll be united in a resurrection like his as well, right? That's a comforting. It's like I can f we can face the trials and the hardships in a death that come with a death like his, mm -hmm. knowing that, you know, when the time comes, we will also go through uh, be united with him and through the resurrection. Yeah, actually, I, well, as soon as you referenced Romans 5, I knew exactly where you were going, Mike. Because I was thinking the same thing. It's a very comforting verse, knowing that mm -hmm. um, if we've been if we've been uh, buried with him, that's that much more so we'll be raised with him. That's such a comforting thought, especially. Um, you know, it, it's easy to look around. And there, I don't need to reference anything specifically, but, I mean, the news is crazy these days, and it's, it's going to be very, um, very difficult. Um but we don't hold on to this world. We don't hold on to mm -hmm. our possessions or, or our ideals here. We hold <coughs> on to Christ. Um, and Christ will pull us through all of this. That's, that comfort is just... It's hard hard to put into words. At least for me. Mm -hmm. um, regarding the converted man's freedom from sin is also one of the things I'd like to talk about. Um Verse 7 says, For he who has died is freed from sin. Um, Charles Spurgeon said the following re regarding that uh, quote. He's, uh, For he that is dead is freed from sin. The man is dead. The law cannot ask more of a criminal than to yield his life. If, therefore, he should give life, he should live life again after death, he would not be one who could suffer for his past offenses. They are committed in another life, and he that is dead is freed from sin. End quote. Um, to the believer, Christ paid that price. And and we're going to... I'm just reverting back to how much greater the sacrifice or, or the gift of grace is than the transgression, right? Mm -hmm. um, we no longer owe the debt that was due. <coughs> Excuse me. It was paid for... Uh, sorry. It was paid for by Jesus Christ. Verses 1 through 10 ought to be great comfort for the believer because this is true about you. Mm -hmm. um, as Christ died to sin once for all, verse 10, um, we being Christ must also consider ourselves dead to sin. Just as he was resurrected and alive, death has no dominion over him. We too in him are made alive and sin and death have no dominion over us. What a great joy that is. Mm. And when you when you think about, it, I'm just going to go back to a little bit, and with that in mind, like when you think about that of what Christ has done, and and how we were enslaved, and how He's freed us from that, and 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 death and sin have no dominion over us because of Christ. How could we go back? Mm -hmm. Like how could we just be like, no, this isn't this isn't what I want. Like, um, and you know, going back to the antinomianism argument, like just it just doesn't make sense in light of this. It's just like, right. no, I, I totally agree. And like I. Like I kind of started this <laughs> chapter with my uh, statement near the beginning. It ties into these verses um, how while we are dead to sin and no longer enslaved to it, that does not mean that, you know, the Christian will be sinless. Um, in fact, sanctification is a lifelong process of becoming more and more like Christ. And we must be fighting every day to put our sin to death. Um, this cannot be done, obviously, under our own power. And we talked about this. Uh, this was part of the sermon in church on Sunday. I remember this part tied in as well, right? But um, obviously this can't be done in our own power, but must be done through Christ's power. And 
you know, this ultimately doesn't mean praying a prayer and then sitting around and waiting for him to deal with it as can be so easy to, to do. Um, but rather we still have an active part in remaining on guard and being alert and, you know, setting to combating sin, trusting that by his power we'll overcome. Because we know that, you know, another really comforting fact is he, that he who started a good work will finish it. And just going along with that too, let me, we're called to to put to death the sins of the flesh. It's, it's an active and uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a, a present uh, tense. So it's always happening. It's not something that, would, that happened or will happen, but it is happening constantly. Mm-hmm. And it's like obviously active, right? And so like you said, we... We, we're called to pray because we know that we can't do this on our own. At the same time, we can't just sit back and be like, all right, cool, Jesus is going to take care of this. I'm just going to go, you know, live, like, do do something right, right like, close to something that would cause me to sin. Like, you know, I'm right. just going to camp out right next to sin. Hopefully it doesn't get me. Yeah. Like, what, it's just we, uh, Yeah, we absolutely, you know, the Bible talks multiple times about how we still do have a responsibility to actively fight it actively yeah absolutely. go against it and yeah it refers to spiritual warfare quite often yeah we are you know part of that battle so yeah i it actually brings me to my next point because um like just moving a little bit farther forward trying to keep this train rolling um rolling 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 roll, roll, roll. sorry <laughs> um paul paul says sin may not reign in our mortal bodies. And so what does he mean? Um, sin must be weeded out and hunted down. Um, sin must be resisted as it tries to fight its way deviously back into the life of the believer. Um, the body that's once ruled by sinful desire must be presented as an instrument of righteousness and not yield to the flesh. Mm-hmm. Um, what I believe is being ruthless in regards to sin. Um, whether I am all the time or not, it's a different story. Sometimes I allow too much temptation to take hold. Um, mm. But we are to be ruthless in regards to sin. We must also look to the constant reminders uh, to be on a, be on the alert. And you can look at Mark 13, verse 9, 33 through 37, Mark 14, 38, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. Um, this alertness and readiness is to know ourselves and our strengths, our weaknesses, know our enemy and, and also know the battlefield that we are in and, mm-hmm. and on, right? Like, know, know the terrain. Um, this is obviously comes on the heels of this last Sunday's sermon, but it really hit home with me, and as I know it did with you guys, too. It really, so, really tied yeah. in well, yeah. and I will not lie, I was convicted um, on Sunday. So, um, But Paul says here, in this, in this, along the lines with what Benny had said, you had said earlier, about, you know, not, not going right on the edge, like right close to something and hoping it doesn't get you or hoping it doesn't draw you in type of thing. Paul, Paul says that where he says, um, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as members of righteousness. And this is an active thing. This is active that we must be doing. And it, it's repeated in at the beginning of Romans 12. You know, Romans 1 through 11 is seen as, you know, Paul explaining what God has done. And then 12 on, 
Paul goes to now what you must do because of this. Yeah. And this is kind of a preemptive strike at that because it's exactly what, what he starts with. And, you know, obviously that we have this um, need to and we're, we're called to avo- avoid sin, to take precautions, to, to not, you know, not present it as an, an option. And it, it reminds me of, you know, um, the Sermon on the Mount in um, Matthew 5 where Jesus is talking about, you know, you've heard adultery is sin, but I say, you know, even if you look with lust. Mm-hmm. And, and then he goes on to say, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Um, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown in hell. Um, and he goes on to say the same with your right hand if it causes you to sin. And because it's better to go um, to lose one of your members than your whole body to hell, right? Yeah. Um, that that's that's just what kind of caught my attention in studying this part of the passage because you know that's an active thing that yeah. you know obviously we're not saying go maim yourself uh, yeah. physically but you know if you're some TV show you're watching is causing you to sin cut it out yeah. it's better to not watch, watch a t- to to miss out on a TV show than to go to hell because of it or yeah. to sin because of it and. Mm-hmm. And that that there's so many things in my own life that I need to do this with, mm-hmm. that I need to focus on. I know you guys are the same. Will be the same. It's Absolutely, yeah. it's something that all believers have that we need to actively be putting things actively be putting things to death and and stopping the things that are causing us, you know, temptation or causing us these trials. Right. Yeah, and I would look at it. Um... I'm no military man, but I, I would, you know, akin this to, um, to a battle plan, you know, regardless of what country you're, you know, you're from, if your country has a military and they're going to go to war, they're not going to go to war or go into battle without knowing what the terrain is. They're not going to go into battle with not knowing who their enemy is. They're not going to go into battle with not knowing or without knowing uh, what their strengths and what their weaknesses are. In spiritual warfare, we must know where our strength is, and that that's Christ. We must know where our weakness is, and that's our flesh. We must know who the enemy is, and that is the devil, that is the flesh, and that is the world. Um, because the world is enemies of Christ, and if we're in Christ, we are enemies of the world. And you can see that in daily yeah yeah it's very and then, obvious and then the battlefield is our minds and our hearts and, and and every day we are in spiritual warfare and so we look at ephesians 6 and, and talking about uh putting on the full armor of god it's putting on it's continuously putting on it's continuously putting on it's not something that we are to remove, but it's something that we are continuously putting on daily. And by that is is constantly being the word and being in prayer. And and as you said before, it's not just saying a quick prayer and saying, "Oh, done my part." If you don't, if you heard the the clapping, I was wiping my hands, you know, saying, "Done my part." But um, and then just laying on the couch and putting yourself 
or even sitting in a, in a position that can cause you to stumble or to sin because it's like, oh, I said a prayer. Obviously, I'm not going to fall into sin now. Well, if you put yourself in a position that you're going to sin, you're going to sin because the flesh is weak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going on to, to verse 14 there. Um, oh, I should use my mic properly. Oh, thanks, Brayden. Uh, going, on to, <laughs> going on to verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law but under grace. Um, and, and Paul realizes in, in verse 15 that this, this is going to be taken out of context right away. Um, uh, and so then in verse 15 he starts with, What then are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. And I think one thing that gets missed is, often is what he follows with verse 16. It all comes together really well, obviously. Uh, but he says, do you not know that if you pre- present yourselves as um, to anyone uh, as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. So basically, Paul is saying that you are enslaved to one of two things, either uh, to obedience, you are a slave of the gospel, or, or to disobedience and lawlessness, you're a slave of sin. Mm-hmm. So your free will... Uh, if that's what you want to call it, is just like which sin you want to do today. That that's your free will, um, unless you're unless you're uh, a slave of the gospel. There there's really not anything in between. Because then your will will be God's will. Exactly. And so either you're going to want to do the things of God. Right. So I mean, in, in, with that in mind, going back to to. Um, to verse, 11, I just want to touch on verse eleven a little bit. It says, "So you must consider yourselves dead to sin." And sorry, not, not verse twelve. Sorry, uh, let that sin not therefore reign in your mortal body to make it to make you obey its passions. And and there, Paul is kind of saying, like, if you present yourself as instruments of unrighteousness, it will enslave you. And I think sometimes what people don't realize is that um, when you present yourself as instruments of unrighteousness, when you're willing to sin. You're, you're enslaved to it, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're living in sin, you're not just living in sin because you've decided to. Mm-hmm. That's one, that's part of it. But you decided to because you're enslaved to it. Yeah. And the only way outside of that is through Christ. Yeah, that reminds me of a quote I remember reading. I think it was R.C. Sproul where he said, you're, you don't, or you're, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our, obviously, the Bible talks numerous times about how our you know even especially in this passage about how if we're not enslaved to christ we're enslaved to to sin that's the other thing yeah so before you are saved you're enslaved to sin yeah i mean there's really only there's only like if you're not honoring god you're honoring somebody else or someone else something else that's beneath God, which is idolatry, which is sin. God is the only being that is worthy of any praise and worship, right? So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. anything else is, is sin. Yeah, Spurgeon, just on this topic, he writes, uh, quote, If you're doing the deeds of sin, you are the servants of sin, and only as you are doing the will of God can you claim to be a servant of God. Oh, I t- just took a huge deep breath there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Need to breathe. Hereby, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. That becomes the index of our condition. The man, then, that lives in sin and loves it, need not talk about the grace of God. He is a stranger to it. For the mark of those that come under the grace is this, that they serve God and no longer serve sin. Mm-hmm. End quote. Yeah, and where Paul writes, you know, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. 
um, basically the other side of that is those who are under the law, those who, you know, are not under Christ, have not been justified by Christ's finished work, those who are, you know, not believers, those who are then under the law will be judged by the law. Um, They remain slaves to sin. And, you know, should they not repent and turn to Christ, then they will face the wrath of God. They will mm-hmm. face hell and damnation. It, And that's something we don't want of anyone. So that's why we share this, right? That's why we yeah. share the gospel. And, but, and what, what some people may read too, at least it, it's a straw man argument that I thought of in my head. Um, you know, for we'll have no dominion. Like they'll see that as like, oh, well, sin won't be, it won't be addictive. I'll be able to quit whenever I want kind of thing, right. you know, like cigarettes, you know, I'll, I'm not addicted. I just I'll quit whenever I want. Uh, I just don't want to, and they'll kind of use that um, out of context to justify it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's like we talked about earlier that it it will still have some draw, mm-hmm. but it won't have dominion, or and we won't be enslaved to it the way we once were because we're enslaved to Christ. It'll be bitter. It'll be mm-hmm. um, it'll still ha- sin will always have a draw while we're breathing on this planet. Yeah. You know, we're never going to be sinless, you know, until uh, either we die and go to heaven or Christ returns. We can't slumber there, right? Like right. That, that's not our, our where, the place where we rest our head. Yeah. But where it's talking about no dominion, you know, Christ has dominion instead of it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's like I, like I mentioned, I think before, you know, when we die to sin, it, it we are, or when we died, we're freed from sin. It, it frees us from the power and dominion of it that Christ has power over us instead and mm-hmm. it frees us to pursue righteousness which mm-hmm. by ourselves we would not do you know yeah. we you look at uh, Romans 3 9 to 18 on that you know we you can go feel free to go back a couple episodes to when we covered it but because um, we don't we're not gonna go in depth but it really it just sums up the whole the pravity of man and how yeah. we're unable to actually do so should we want like we we wouldn't even have the want to yeah of ourselves that we have no righteousness of our own right like our any righteousness that that a christian have or has sorry is is the righteousness of christ right so so all the all the good deeds that we we try to do and you know in the flesh are considered worthless um right and that goes to in a couple of verses where where he says for for when you were slaves to sin you were free in regard to righteousness you didn't have it it doesn't mean yeah it, <laughs> the way I, I was reading in again in the commentary and the way he described it there i just want to share first of all uh just a short note he john gill had said quote they had no righteousness nor were they desirous of any end quote but then later on he went on and it kind of um helped me have a bit of a deeper understanding where he said, quote, Hence may be observed what is the free will of man in an unregenerate state, not free to, but free from righteousness, end quote. And basically, the way this comes across, or the way this is, my understanding of this is, and what he's saying is, you know, basically we are, the free will of unregenerate man is not, not free to obtain righteousness of his own, but is rather free from all righteousness, has no righteousness of its own, has no desire to be righteous, has mm-hmm. has none of that, right? So, mm-hmm. 
Well, actually, I got a I got a quote on the same topic. Not to beat a dead horse, but I really like this. This one's John beat Calvin. It. <laughs> no, wait. Um, wait, what? That's Go ahead. It. Okay. I was just, uh, sorry. That was a Michael Jackson song. Oh, uh, no, I get the reference. <laughs> um, but Calvin said, uh, while you were servants of sin, you were you were free from righteousness. But now a change having place, it behooves you to serve righteousness. For, for you have been liberated from the yoke of sin. He calls those free from righteousness who are held to no bridle to obey righteousness. This is the liberty of the flesh, which so frees us from obedience to God that it makes us slaves of the devil. Wretched then and accursed is this liberty, which unbridled or rather, uh, rather mad frenzy, or sorry, with, with unbridled or rather mad frenzy leads us to exalting, leads us exultingly to our destruction. My writing is pretty bad, apparently, uh, <laughs> but um, I really, I really like the way he, the way he ended it. Wretched and accursed then is this liberty. Um, with unbridled or rather uh, mad frenzy leads us exultingly to our destruction. So, like, he talks about our free will and saying how accursed is our free will because our free will chooses sin, yeah. you know? So, yeah. um, free will like, of so itself. Free will of itself will just choose sin. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. But your your comment about your um, bad handwriting... <laughs> Just, uh, it's not so bad that you can't read it. At least I was, I remember we were watching on the weekend, the funny videos or funny parts of like, uh, Q and A's from, from different pastors and stuff. And there was one where they were talking about John MacArthur's notes, how Phil Johnson had asked him, you know, what does this say? And John MacArthur looked at his own handwritten notes and just like, I I don't know. So at least you can read yours, right? So. That's one thing I have on John McCarthy. And to be fair, <laughs> the only thing. To, to be fair, like I I write in the margins of my like small like travel Bible, and when Tiny I print. and when I get back to to reading it, it is like there's what does that say? What did I write there? And then it's like my H's start to look like um, N's and my. My T's start to look like H's. I remember seeing. I remember seeing one of yours. You had sent me a picture of one of one of the pages when you were taking notes on one study a couple of months ago, and I remember just seeing just you know crossed out words and stuff. I'm like, how do you even read? <laughs> like you're taking up all the space with a big black block, knocking, writing, uh, uh, crossing out a word. <laughs> That's because like I'm almost like a stickler when it comes to spelling things correctly, and I spelled it wrong. Oh wait, no, I spelled it wrong again. So I cross it out twice, and it takes up a lot of space, especially when you're writing some long whiteout. That's good. Uh, not on the Bible page. Oh, on the Bible. I was thinking of notebook. Sorry. Yeah, but that's that's good that you're a stickler for grammar because grammar is important and proper spelling is important, no matter how racist the world thinks that good spelling is. Well, speaking of things that are important. Go right back to, you know, the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Going back to the Bible. Yeah, more important. Um, verse twenty-one. I thought was really Paul really and hits the nail on the head, and he really kind of wraps things up in a really good way. And he says, um, "But what fruit were you getting at that time from from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death." Mm-hmm. And so he points out like everything that you had before that you thought you had, it's all garbage because that would have that would have led you to hell. The end of all that sin is death. For the penalty of sin is death, and we're not, you know, like not just, uh, you know, a physical execution, but like yeah. a lifetime of punishment. eternal, eternal well, death, or eternal, 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 e
Yeah, it really made me think of uh, the verse in or in Matthew 16, verse 26, where it says, you know, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? And that's that's kind of what that is, right? Is um, the those who are you know going after sin, chasing after sin, chasing after all these things, what, what, where the end fruit is death, mm-hmm. eternally. Basically, what they're doing is they're trying to gain everything. They're you know even in even in doing their committing their sin, they're trying to gain something yeah. by it. They're gaining the pleasure of it or the whatever it is at the expense of their soul. Mm-hmm. But then you look at the other side and it's like the fruit and the benefit of being freed from sin and enslaved to God is sanctification and ultimately eternal life. You know, it's a continuous benefit that you were continually, continuously being made increasingly into the likeness of Christ. And then at the end, what we have to look forward to is an eternity of life free from all the bad and a life in Christ, with Christ, with God forever, right? So yeah, and, and this 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 in general is like when I'm looking at this this facet of the gospel is generally my issue with a lot of like more libertarian conservatism because it'll act like freedom in itself is going to be some sort of uh, saving grace of sorts, um, and as Christians who are you know more libertarian, I, I think it's dangerous for us to look at those kinds of freedoms in that light because obviously our freedom our free will will just you know outside of christ will lead us to sin and Mm -hmm. so uh it's not conservatism or libertarianism that's going to save um you know our 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 government systems i mean there yes there's lots of problems but the world will not be saved like like this 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 life here isn't going to be saved we're called to a new life in christ Mm -hmm. and so we need to not focus on what we have here right Right. So I mean, I, I love the way, you know, Calvin talks about free will and and and, and the way he, when he quotes Paul talking about the free will as just like outside of Christ, your free will is just sin. Yeah, it will always choose its nature, which is sin. And then it goes right to the final verse that we've quoted through different through previous episodes. But how how the wages earned by that sin and by that is what we've earned and what we've deserved that wages is eternal death but the blessing you know the the wonderful thing the free gift the unmerited ill-deserved gift is eternal life in christ and Mm -hmm. so that really leads me to the question to those who are listening what what are you enslaved to are you enslaved to your sin are you in living in it, pursuing it, following after the lusts of the flesh? Or are you enslaved to Christ um, and following righteousness and obedience? Um, you know, just as Christ, you know, as, as it was Paul writes earlier in the chapter, just as Christ was raised to never die again, so will the believer be raised. But one cannot partake in eternal life with Christ if he does not partake in the death to sin with mm-hmm. Christ through repentance and turning um, to the wicked from his wickedness. And so that's why we ask what, what you're enslaved to, what, what are you following? What are you, what are you living your life for? Are um, you being on the alert? You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, while you... Are you, are you in Christ? Mm-hmm. 
is the ultimate question. Because if you're not, you don't know how much time you have. And, you know, tonight might be your last. Or whatever day you listen to this might be your last. And if you're outside of Christ, then wrath awaits you. Um, just, just wrath. Yeah. You know, it's justice. It's what we deserve. Um, but we want to proclaim to you that you can find freedom. You can find freedom from sin. You can find freedom from, um, yeah, well, freedom. You can find freedom from sin. You can find freedom to unto an eternal life. Mm-hmm. And that is only found in Christ Jesus and through his finished work on the cross where he bore the weight of our sin and our shame and he... He bore the wrath of God that was stored up for us on our behalf and died by crucifixion, was buried, and rose three days later. And so, you know, conquering death and sin. And so we would urge you to repent and turn to him Mm -hmm. and find freedom, find, you know, ever abounding grace. And uh, sometimes, like, we can sound really somber when it comes to this this topic, but we truly are, like, pleading with, with your soul. Um, but at the same time, for those who do repent and believe the gospel, that is, by grace through faith in Christ alone um, for salvation, it's the greatest joy you're going to ever know. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I know I don't always come across as su- such a joyful person sometimes. I can be, and I cannot be, you know, at times. But... Um, please trust me when I when I tell you this. It is the greatest joy, it is the greatest gift that has been ever given. It's the greatest story that's ever been told. Um, repent and believe, and, and and know that Christ is Lord. Come under His lordship, and that's what we urge you. That's why we sound, you know, serious and somber when it comes to these things, because we know that that there are those who do not repent and do not believe the gospel, who do not come to Christ, but for those who do know that it is like there's no earthly word that can describe how good Mm. Christ is. Amen. And so like watchers on the wall warning of impending trouble, uh, we warn you of the wrath to come. And, you know, we've done our part trusting that God is the one who gives the increase. And so we, you know, pray that this blesses you and ultimately glorifies God because that is our our focus yeah absolutely and so with that I think we're coming to the end of this episode thank you again for joining us repent Um, and believe the gospel yes amen amen amen